Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Today, we're going to be talking to Christian Smalls, who is, uh, he's got a fascinating story. He worked for Amazon. When the pandemic hit, he looked around and was like, there are zero protections, and they don't care. And he was watching his coworkers, you know, throw up and fall over, and everybody was sick, and it was terrible, and he was like— and Meanwhile, yeah. Amazon's like, everything's fine. No one's getting sick. Yeah, he was like, you know, I think we should make some changes here. And so he was a whistleblower. He blew up big in the media. We all owe him a debt of gratitude for that. Now he's working on an Amazon labor union, so the guy's fascinating, um, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. But before we get into that, a uh, little bit of personal, personal YouTube news here okay. that was— uh, it's somewhat shocking, even though it shouldn't be. So let me explain what I mean by that. Donald Trump recently went on the um, the Full Send podcast. Was it Full Send or No Laying Up? I think it's Full Send. Full Send. Yeah, it's the Nelk Boys, mm -hmm. right? And so, now I had watched that podcast a few times before. I watched one with John Daly. I watched one with Paulie D, who's my doppelganger, by the way. Um, funny enough. Uh, and, you know, it just strikes me as... Cl you know, classic kind of bro-y podcast where bros are just being bros. And so mm -hmm. it's got a huge following and, and a lot of people really like it. So they interviewed Donald Trump. Now I did a whole segment on it, almost a 25-minute segment on it where I, I sort of broke down the more interesting moments of it. Uh-huh. And, you know, my main takeaway was like, they're doing the thing that Rogan sort of refused to do. And Rogan, the Trump people approached Rogan and wanted to come on his podcast and Rogan was like, he thought about it for a while, but then ultimately he decided against it because they had conditions. They were like, come to the White House, and they only wanted a shorter amount of time. And he's like, look, man, that's not what I do, number one. Number two, I don't want to, like, serve as some sort of, you know, bump for Trump when I, I don't agree with most of what the guy does, right? Yeah. So, And I remember I told talked about this on uh, my breakdown of that interview that— uh, Rogan actually reached out to me and I'm sure a few other people and was like, look, I might interview Donald Trump. If you were to interview Donald Trump, what are the questions you would ask him? Yeah, basically, if he was going to do it, he wanted to do it right. Yeah. In the right format and with enough time and with enough preparation to really press him on the things that need to be pressed. Now, one of the criticisms of Rogan is that, and, you know, he even spoke to this recently with a whole bunch of the scandals, was like, hey, you, you didn't really didn't do enough preparation to deal with these guests that are pushing controversial views. And there's certainly an element of truth in that. But what we saw in this instance was like, when the stakes get the highest of the high, which is the fucking president of the United States, he steps his game up and he's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to do it right. Yeah. You know? So anyway, that's a long way of me getting to this point. Trump goes on this podcast, sits down with these guys. There are a bunch of funny moments. There are a bunch of classic Trump moments. There are a bunch of like horrible policy ideas in there, as always with Donald yeah. Trump. Obsession with windmills. That he obsession, random obsession up. with windmills, of course. <laughs> and my favorite part was YMCA, the gay anthem. Tremendous song. People love it. They love it. <laughs> he's talking about because he's talking about the songs he picks. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, you know what really gets them going? YMCA. That was like the YMCA. That was like a core of his campaign this time. It was no longer like trade and yeah. bring the jobs back. It was like, I'm gonna dance the YMCA. Yeah. 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 And I saw it was so funny to me because it's so dated. He's showing his age there. I, I made the joke. It's kind of like being like, you know who's the most smoking babe around? Betty White. Betty White is so sexy. She's so hot. And the woman who plays I Love Lucy, amazing. Tremendous legs. Uh, so, but anyway, that podcast was banned by YouTube. They deplatformed it. They pulled down the entire podcast. Mm -hmm. And so, at first I was a little surprised, but then you realize, you know why they did it? Stop the steal. Because he, in every interview, and in every speech Trump does, he's, he does the whole, like, a rigged election. It was a rigged election. It was totally unfair. And this even happened, uh, I remember, to the Deep Fat Fried guys, the, TJ the Amazing Atheist mm -hmm. and all of his co-hosts. They had made fun of the conspiracies about a rigged election. And because they brought up the rigged election, their thing was pulled down. 
I remember this because I covered it on my show. Yeah. And so they pulled down an actual Trump. They got like millions of views within 24 hours. They just pulled it down. So I covered it. Now, this is where it gets really amazing. So in my breakdown of that interview, which again is about 25 minutes, I just played the more interesting parts, a little mashup of it, and then some other slightly longer parts that were about policy. And um, at no point did I play Donald Trump saying the elections rigged, elections rigged, et cetera. I didn't cover that. Not even in the clip. Not in the clip at all. None of the clips that I showed. YouTube still, uh, for, I mean, they copyrighted me, the Nelk boys, which is, guys, get your fucking shit together. Stop being copyright pirates. Let your shit go. I let my shit go. They let their shit go. That's what any normal person on YouTube does. Oh, oh my stuff is too special to be spread around. Eh, like, fuck you. Don't do that shit. Anyway, they copyrighted it because they're assholes. Uh, sorry, but it's true. And then uh, they... YouTube blocked it. YouTube deplatformed my thing when it didn't even have the rigged election thing in it. So go ahead and show that graphic, guys. I want to show everybody. So you can see uh, the monetization says ineligible because there's a copyright claim. That's the restriction underneath that you could see there. I had almost 97,000 views on the video. And you can see thumbnail. visibility blocked. Blocked. And the title, Trump goes on full send podcast, talk Rogan, Ukraine, communism, and more. He's such great, a jackass. He compared the U.S. to Venezuela in there, by the way. Oh my God. Um, hilarious. That's one of the things I talked about. But it's blocked. They pulled it down. They deplatformed my video. Wow. They censored my video. Now, I went back and listened to it. I think there is one part where I mention that Trump brings up the January 6th thing, but I bring it up to make fun of it and slap it down and say, hey, Dippy, the polls show Americans want you to shut up about this. There was a poll that came out where even Republicans are like, oh, all right, all right, all right, we got it, we got it, we got to move on, move on, move on. Nobody wants you to talk about it. Yeah. Nobody wants you to talk about it. You're wrong. There was, I mean, this video might even get pulled because now I'm talking about it, even to slap it down. There were 60 court cases. He lost almost every single one of those court cases. And any one that he won was, was totally inconsequential in terms of the outcome of the election. They had the Arizona audit where he, he ended up, where Biden ended up getting more votes than we thought on election day. Whereas the Trump people thought, oh, it's going to reverse Arizona when we do this. Actually, no, Biden won by more when they looked into it. Right. So the only time I mentioned it, if I did mention it, was to say he said this stuff and it's really stupid and he shouldn't say it. And oh, by the way, it's wrong. They pulled down my video. That's insane. So this is OK. What's the point of us talking about this? This is the exact kind of slippery slope of censorship that we always talk about. It's the slipperiest, slippery slope of all time. This isn't theory anymore. The reason why we talk about it is because we're more than halfway down that slope already. Like, why on earth should my video have been pulled for that? There is no reason that my video should have been pulled for that. Not to mention, it's insane that you're going to pull the former president of the United States and who might again be the president of the United States. Like, we should know what this asshole is saying. Right. Good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, the fact that you're suppressing some of his most obnoxious and most obscene and most insane commentary is actually a help to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only do you play into his narrative about, you know, we're, we're the victims and we're being censored and they don't want you to hear the truth, but actually, you know, his approval rating has started to tick up since he's been deplatformed from Twitter because it's not as fresh in people's minds how obnoxious insane this guy was. All the things that they hated about him, some of that has like receded into their memory because he's not on Twitter every day and it's not in your face every day. And the fact of the matter is like people don't want to endlessly fixate even people who are susceptible to his bogus claims about the election. That's not what they want to focus their entire politics around moving forward into 2024. And that's actually showing right now in some of the endorsements that Trump has made. And I don't know if you followed this, but he looks like he may go 0 for 3 
in his Senate primary endorsements because he centered his endorsements and made the litmus test like the one thing everybody had to be totally on board with was not any policy issue, but was his stupid stop the steal stuff. And it's being rejected in Georgia, in North Carolina, and in Alabama in favor of other candidates. So anyway, it's insane to think that it doesn't have news value and shouldn't be in front of the American people what Donald Trump is saying. Yeah, I'm actually trying to pull up as we speak right now. Oh, here we go. I think I got it. I think I got it. Um, Republicans. There's a poll, CBS News poll of Republicans. What should leaders and parties talk about? Okay. The economy. 90% say talk about that. Inflation. 89% say talk about that. Crime and policing. 84% say talk about that. January 6th, 15% of Republicans yeah. say talk about that. Uh, so in other words, and I think this is very clear and, and laid out by the data here, the more Trump talks about this, the more his numbers go down. Yeah. So it's amazing that the media, in a rush to like bury Trump and protect people from Trump and try to make sure Trump doesn't happen again, they're making they're it more likely him. that he's going to happen again, again, which is the exact same shit they did in 2015 and 2016 right. when they gave him like billions of dollars worth of free media. And every time they would attack him, they would attack him over the dumbest thing. I told you the one that always sticks out in my mind is I remember one time he was doing a rally and he said that the TPP is going to rape us. It's going to rape this country. And CNN and all these big media outlets were like so offended that he used the word rape that they were, you know, clutching their pearls and falling on their fainting couch. And they talked about it for like a day straight. And I remember watching it going, there are so many ways to attack this guy where you actually paint him as a monster and you make it so nobody wants to vote for him, but you're not you're not doing that. If anything, you're highlighting the fact that he says outsourcing our jobs is bad, which he's right about. My my favorite example of what you're talking about is the whole like, he's not a real billionaire. Real billionaires oh my support God. us. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite example of that. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. No, this is not, this is not it. Do not go in this direction. But yeah, they think that they're like helping prevent Trump, I guess, or helping stick it to Trump. And really what they're doing is erasing his worst attributes so people forget that this dude is completely obsessed with himself and his own election results and is not, in fact, concerned with or has any realistic plans to deal with the things that people, you know, Democrat, Republican, and Independent actually care about. And we know that that's the case because this is a big reason why they lost those two Senate races in Georgia. Democrats, for once in our entire lifetime, had a good message about if you vote for us, we're going to get you checks. And, and also my opponents are super corrupt too. And they yeah, were. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and the Republicans, meanwhile, were out there, you know, ranting about stop the steal. And guess what? Even though history predicted that Republicans should pick up both of those seats, not just because it's Georgia, but because of the way that um, the electoral results between the runoff and the, you know, and the actual election normally trend. So this should have been gimmies for Republicans. And they lost both of them because of their obsession over Stop the Steal. So you're not helping anyone by hiding this stuff. That's right. And and to get back to the censorship thing, because, and this, well, we can end on this point, but so let's think about it for a second. They're saying, okay, this we're going to ban. All right, so now the floodgates are open. The idea is conspiracy theories must be banned. For some reason, right now, they're trying to narrow it to like, but just this one, only this one, mm -hmm. right? But the floodgates are open. So then you go, and there's this is semi the case already because of Alex Jones, right? The yeah. Sandy Hook conspiracy. Okay, gone. 9-11 um, conspiracy theories. Should those go? Yes or no? Uh, JFK conspiracy. 
It's not conspiracy. That's just. But to see, this is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at. And then, of course, you go down down the list, and you have you know the Tuskegee experiments and Operation Northwoods and and Operation Paperclip, like all those the the proven ones. Well, I'm gonna guess we're not gonna ban the Russiagate conspiracies. That one's oh, never gonna be. Well, and that's that's. Yeah. The devastating overarching point here, which yeah. is like, if it's the conspiracy theories that go along with the narrative approved by the establishment types, totally fine. If mm-hmm. it's not, we're going to axe it. And the bottom line is, guys, there cannot be a ministry of truth because whoever is in that ministry of truth is fucking fallible and they have their own biases and they have their own blind sides and they have their own problems. And who's going to fact check the fact checkers? And then who's going to fact check the fact checkers who fact check the fact checkers? You're, I mean, this is well, and the basic re- stuff here that we're talking about. T- I mean... So banning the president, an interview with the president is one level. And then banning even, like, covering, like, you can't even cover what he said in that interview. Can't even cover when it. you're not covering the banned statements from that interview. This is insane. And for especially for anyone who's trying to do independent news and journalism, how do you possibly cover the news when you can't talk about or even cover what— the former president of the United States is saying. Yeah. I mean, that's that's ins- that's truly it is, insane. It is insane. But look, this stuff is really, it's, I hate where we're at right now with all the censorship and deplatforming. I mean, when you look at um, what happened to one of my Rogan podcasts where Joe was quoting something Kanye West said, and so he was reading it, and he said N-I-G-G-A. Mm. And they said that's equal to and just as bad as N-I-G-G-E-R, and it's equal to using N-I-G-G-E-R as if you're, like, calling somebody that maliciously. Mm-hmm. And so they pulled down the whole podcast. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, well, what, what are we doing here? What's going on here? And so now, you know, I hate this, man. I really like that video that I had up there. Now it's gone. Nobody else could watch it. I could still watch it, right? It's very weird. But, um, yeah, I, I hate it, and um, it's annoying, and I expect more of this to happen in the future. So anyway, guys... Um, just support. If you like this show on Substack, $5 a month, you, you're the only ones who support us for this show, just so everybody understands that. Yeah. We don't take any corporate money for the show at all. No ad money whatsoever. There would be there would be advertisers lining up down the block if we were like, cool, we'll do some ads. But we don't want to do that. We want to keep it more pure. We want to totally rely on you guys. So if you support this show, pay $5 a month to get the video of the show and you get it a day early. Everybody else can listen to the audio podcast for free. And also, look, shameless plug right now for for what I do on uh, with Secular Talk and the Kyle Kalinske show too, if you support me there, pay a dollar or two on Patreon uh, per month, and that helps me a lot as well. And when you look at stuff like this, you can't help but think, Jesus Christ, we better have like contingency plans in place because yeah. if that video got pulled, any video can get pulled yeah, because there was crazy. absolutely no reason whatsoever for that video to get pulled. I mean, I will say I've been pretty rumble skeptical, but YouTube is going out of their way to make the case for other platforms. Because if you can't even just do the the basics of the job, that's a pretty compelling, um, that's a pretty persuasive argument for having a space where you can do that and your content isn't going to be a That's right. But that's why, you know, that's why you built breaking points with the business model you built breaking points did. on. You guys rely on your audience and your audience takes care of you. And, you know, I remember... Or I, I'm the OG on that front because when I remember Adpocalypse hit and they overnight, they just took all of our funding away. I was like, holy shit, what do I do? And so we launched a Patreon and then the audience flat out saved the show in one day. They were like, okay, yeah, we'll pay you two bucks a month, five bucks a month, seven bucks a month and just keep doing what you're doing because it it was terrifying. Imagine 
Just well, overnight, all of the, all of the, all the income's gone. And get, yeah, you know? they can do it again, which is why the Patreon is still the main thing that I, I rely on in order to you know be able to feel like no matter what, we're going to be okay. Because it's all, it's all about relying on the audience. But look, this stuff makes it clear you can't trust anybody in the hierarchy of command, even on YouTube. And that's a goddamn shame. Very true. Um, all right, let's go ahead and get to our guest because I want to spend some time with Christian Smalls. Um, you guys have probably been following him. He was originally an organizer at Amazon who led a walkout over their failures during COVID. They fire him, um, likely illegally, and there are ongoing lawsuits about that because of his um, activities there. Then he goes on to start the Amazon Labor Union and work to organize the places where he used to be a worker. Um, this is a person who I really admire. I think his model is one that we should all be learning for, from. I think the struggles they are engaged in right now are absolutely critical. So let's get right to it. Christian Smalls. Chris, it's so great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, so I want to get to what's going on with the election and the union efforts, but I actually wanted to start a little bit with you and how you, who you are and how you ended up working at Amazon in the first place. Sure, absolutely. Um, I started with Amazon back in 2015. I came in entry level uh, back in New Jersey, EWR9, Carteret. That was my first building. Um, I worked hard for about seven to eight months, got promoted up to a process assistant better known as an assistant manager. Um, I was in that position for the next four, year, four years. Opened up a second building in BDL2, Windsor, Connecticut in 2017. Um, and then in 2018, uh, JFK was opened in Staten Island. I transferred back and opened up this building as well. Um, I worked there until uh, 2020, March 30th, uh, when I led a walkout over COVID-19 concerns and I was terminated uh, after I led that walkout. So tell everybody a little bit about the specifics of that COVID-19 situation, because I remember reading articles at the time, and you were basically blowing the whistle on some pretty horrendous labor practices that were going on at Amazon. So let everybody know, remind everybody what those labor practices were. Right. Um, yeah, during the time, uh, New York City was the epicenter of the world, pretty much. And, uh, you know, I saw in the domino effect every day workers getting sick in my department, one by one, with flu-like symptoms. And I was sending people home because we were unprotected. We had no PPE, uh, no cleaning supplies, no real guidelines. Um, and uh, I was seeing on the floor workers vomiting, workers fatigued, workers mm -hmm. dizzy, uh, workers going home every day because they couldn't, um, you know, stand the 10 hours. Um, and, and people were just, uh, it was something off in the building. Uh, very eerie feeling. And um, I tried to take the proper channels. And when management didn't uh, really comply or they were nonchalant about it, um, the icing on the cake is when they told me as a supervisor not to tell the employees underneath me that somebody was positive weeks prior. Mm. So I wow. Stand with that. Up to that point, I mean, here you are, you're doing well. You've worked at the company for a number of years. You've kind of moved up the ranks. You've helped to open different new facilities and been, you know, a leader for the company. What was your experience like up until that moment with COVID when you decide to do the walkout? Yeah, I mean, what, what kept me working at Amazon uh, definitely wasn't Amazon itself. It was it's the people that I work with. You know, I spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week with these employees 
And I consider them my extended family. You know, we care about each other. We see each other so much in the building. Um, you know, I was there not only just a supervisor, but I was their friend. I was their mentor. I was their therapist. Um, I was, you know, big brother, um, brother-like figure. I, you know, whatever I was to them, it was a real connection. And when Amazon, um, you know, wasn't taking care of them, they weren't taking care of myself as well. And as far as, you know, the working conditions, you know, um, I had to live these experiences every day. You know, I worked 10, 12 hours. My commute was the same two and a half, three hours each way um, when you're commuting from New Jersey. And, um, you know, these buildings are massive. 10, um, we're talking over a million square feet. Some of them, 14 NFL football fields. Um, I used to tell my new hires, if you have a gym membership, you might want to cancel it. You know, so... <laughs> Uh, that's just uh, some examples of what we were going through. So um, I remember there's a couple things I want to ask. I, I got to try to narrow it down here. But uh, I remember Ken Klippenstein doing some reporting, um, you know, not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago, about how there was uh, this issue of Amazon drivers um, basically pissing and shitting in the trucks because the their schedules are so tight that they have to get from one place to another. And so they feel rushed and there'd be like, you know, pressure from the higher ups. Uh, I know that that's not necessarily the the part of Amazon that you, you were working with, but did you hear chatter about that on the floor? Were there like, what were the, the labor practices? There were uh, really pressing issues where everybody on the floor was sort of looking at each other. Like they really got to do something about this. Yeah. You know, uh, when we're in the warehouse, we, we, we rarely hear anything uh, controversy-wise uh, when it comes to uh, Amazon. Uh, even, you know, I, there was a previous union campaign at JFK that I've never heard about until I, you know, got involved with unionizing. So it's like we're so disconnected from the outside world working there. Uh, we, we didn't hear much. And if we did, it was more like a rumor. We never really saw any articles or news about it. Um, it wasn't until I was terminated. I'm like, wow, it's a whole other side of this company. Um, and, and of course, with the delivery drivers, they of course they have their grievances because we have the same similar issues in the warehouse. You know, I can tell you from my personal experience, um, there's been times where you know workers couldn't make it to the restroom mm. and just go on the floor. Um, there's been cases where you know they'd be going by their station or going on the way to the the, the restroom on the steps, um, just all types of horror stories that, you know, that I also uh, heard and seen as well. And I knew that when I did hear about the truck drivers and delivery drivers uh, peeing in bottles, um, I believe, you know, I, I 100% believe that is the case. Talk a little bit more about just what the day-to-day -day is like inside that warehouse, what the job is like. I mean, take us through what's the security when you enter, how does the day kick off, how do they track your movements and make your, sure you're on task, what happens if you are too slow as judged by their sort of like measurements and algorithms. Give us some of those details day-to-day. -day. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so uh, being a part of the machine and definitely being a manager, assistant manager, um, I definitely had to be the one tracking the mm -hmm. employee. Um, so, yeah, every day you clock in. Uh, once you clock in, you are on productivity time now. So the time is getting counted against you from the moment you badge in. You know, you got about five minutes to walk upstairs to your uh, prospective work area. Uh, you have a meeting with your uh, supervisor, which would be somebody like myself. 
or your manager. If I'm not around, it'll be the manager doing the, 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 the um, in-person morning meetings. Uh, we do like a little stretch and then we send everybody to their station. Um, once you're on that station, uh, I, I consider it to be solitary confinement because you're at that station for the next 10 hours or 12 hours. Um, and everything scan scan. Um, my department pick, uh, you're required to pick almost 400 or over 400 items an hour. Um, so if you're not making, making that quota, uh, if you're not making your rate, you know, we see that. We see the numbers that you produce. We see that, you know, you're not coded for whatever amount of time. And I don't have the problem. I, I don't have the uh, power to reprimand somebody for, for not making their quota. But of course, the managers do above me. And me personally, I never enforced it because I came from that position and I know what these workers are going through. So me, I would never, uh, somebody had a bad day or, you know, they were not making their quota for a day or whatever the case may be. I was more understanding and I knew, uh, you know, this is not going to be on me if they, uh, uh, you know, were to lose their job. It's going to come from somebody higher up, which I never agreed with anyway. But that's just how it goes. The, the, the name of the game is to hire and fire people. So they, they go with the bottom uh, 5% over the week and they try to target those, those people every week. Well, and part of what I've read in the reporting, and I think this came out in some leaked internal communications, is that there's an almost, you know, human beings are really treated as like a disposable resource. There's an expectation that people are going to cycle through, that they're going to be burned down. And there's also a kind of hard cap put on ter in terms of how far you can ascend if you start in a blue-collar warehouse position. Mm. Was that your right. experience? And this is different from, I mean, I've got plenty of issues with Walmart as well, but Walmart actually famously does promote from, you know, their sales associate level and their warehouse level to higher echelons of the company. And they kind of celebrate that. At Amazon, according to the leaked internal communications, there's a hard cap put on so that people who do have that sort of understanding of what it's really like working on the floor, on the shop floor, are not going to be ultimately in positions of power. Was that your experience at the company too? Absolutely. Um, you know, I was I was ready to resign from Amazon before COVID. Um, you know, being in my position for four and a half years is way too long. I was eligible to become a salary manager back in 2017. So even three years after that, um, I applied to become a manager 49 times. And I was only interviewed twice. Hmm. So I knew that systemically there was some racism and discrimination there. I watched as my white counterparts with less experience, somebody that I even trained six months, they get promoted right over me. Mm. So it, it was definitely something, it's definitely something systemically uh, um, with Amazon when it comes to promotions. Um, I, I know that the demographics show that 70% of the management is white. Um, you know, the 30% black and brown, what they do is, you know, once you get promoted, if you're, you know, black or brown, they throw you right onto the night shift. You know, mm -hmm. I know that for a fact because they did that with me. Mm -hmm. uh, I came and opened up Staten Island DFA. I had seniority over everybody. I've been there the longest. I've been there since, you know, 2015. And I opened up two other buildings prior. I had the longest tenure at DFA at one point. I was the highest paid supervisor there. And they threw me right on the night shift. They didn't even give me the option to choose what shift I wanted to go to. And I said, well, in my last building that I transferred to, because I had a seniority, y'all allowed me to choose my shift and I was able to stay on day shift. 
just how I was when I first got hired. But after a while, that changed. Um, they threw you wherever they wanted to. And and most of the time, uh, if you're black or brown in your management, uh, you're going to the niceness. And I've seen that for a reason. Is there truth to the reporting that um, they basically hire people, like really overwork people, burn people out, and then basically turn them over quickly to bring in somebody new, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, burn them out, and then the cycle continues? Absolutely. That's 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 the that's exactly what they do. You know, um, it, it, being a worker, uh, uh, entry level and being a, a process assistant as well. Um, I, I lost count of how many people I've seen come and go. And uh, we're talking about good workers, not just, you know, workers that, you know, couldn't hang. I, I lost a lot of good people um, in my tenure. And I watched a lot of managers just quit because they couldn't stand, uh, you know, uh, Amazon's uh, policies. And what they do is instead of hiring in, internally, um, they'll go externally, go to these colleges. They do all these uh, hiring events at, at these colleges and they bring these young people in with no work experience. Sorry, my allergies are bothering. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they bring all these young workers in with no real work experience. Uh, this is probably their first job, fresh out of college, and they throw them right into the fire. And, and now you're talking about somebody that's 21, 22, uh, trying to manage people that, you know, older than them, not only that, from a different type of community, that's number two. And and this is their first job managing people. And obviously that's going to, you know, cause some friction there. And I've seen it over and over and over again and to the point where they burn people out. And what did it do to you in your life when you get moved from daytime shifts to nighttime shifts? I mean, on a practical basis, how does that upend your routine and just going about your, you know, trying to have a work outside of a life outside of work? Uh, there is no life outside of work. You know, <laughs> that, that's the problem. Um, I, I, you know, Amazon uh, pretty much stole the last seven years of my life. Mm. You know, I, I, that's all I think about. It's Amazon. I don't think about nothing else. And it's like, that's the only escape is uh, is leaving the company. You know, and they know that. They know that. Um, the way they change schedules, uh, there's really no communication. It's through your phone or app or you get an email or they approach you with an offer letter and they say, hey, you're going to night shift next week and you have to reroute your whole life. Mm -hmm. That happened to me several times. Uh, you know, I had to change my lifestyle uh, change. Uh, I had a second job. You know, people don't know. I worked at, I was a manager at MetLife Stadium, you know, Giant Stadium, the football stadium over here in New Jersey for five years, the same amount of time. So I had to change my schedule at my other job just so I can keep my main source of income. And they don't care. They don't care about any of those things. You know, they just do what they want to do. And if you don't, you know, you don't meet that standard, you, you have to, you know, pretty much leave the job or um, figure it out. Wow. To automatically change it like that and then just inform you of it strikes me as pretty abusive. Like, I, you know, oh, I've worked plenty of terrible jobs in my life, but even at the worst of the worst of them, like at the dealership, they'd ask you, like, look, can you fill this? Can you do this? Can you do that? And then if you can't, right, I guess we'll try somebody else. But they're just sending it to you and like, this is what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, when I was on night shift, they approached me one time and they said, um, we have to move some managers to day shift. And I'm like, you know, I wanted to go to days anyway, so I took the offer. But the way they did it was, it's like, it's either you or 
um, you know, they they kept asking me over and over again. And it, it, it started to feel like they were pressuring me to do it. It wasn't even like they were asking me. They were like, you know, we have to do this. We have to move you to days. And I'm like, why? You know, why do I, of all the supervisors you have here, I have to be the one to go to days? And, you know, come to find out, you know, they just did that because they they wanted to make it seem like I was going to be getting recognition from going to day shift. I'm like, I've been on days. I started on days. So, like, actually, actually, I like night shift now because there's less, you know, supervision over me and I can run my operation the way I want to. Mm, yeah, that's when interesting. I days, when I go to days, you know, all the big boys are in the, in the building and they're on top of you. And I don't like that type of pressure because, you know, days and nights is completely different. And they know that. So, you know, them specifically coming to me, I knew there was no reason behind that. Yeah. Well, and also once you've been moved to nights and you've reordered your life around that, and then they want you to switch your whole life back around the other way. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Um, so let's move forward in time a little bit here, Chris. So you lead the the walkout over what you saw going on with COVID and the fact that you were being told directly to suppress some of the information about your coworkers who were getting sick. They fire you. And then to your point about some systemic issues with racism in the company, there was a memo that Vice News got their hand on where uh, their general counsel in sort of strategizing how to handle, you know, this PR crisis, what they view as a PR crisis rather than what they should view as a health crisis in the middle of a pandemic. So they got to handle their, their PR issue over this. And they say that basically... Christian Smalls is not smart or articulate. Jesus. And so we should make him the face of the entire union organizing movement. Now, first of all, I think people can judge for themselves listening to this conversation, um, your level of intelligence. But just talk about how that landed with you. I mean, what was that ex- What was that like when you heard those words used to describe you? Um, obviously, uh, it's just blatant racism, you know. Just uh, being a black man in America, I, we we heard this over and over. You know, we're not smart enough. We're not articulate enough. Um, so that is a stigma already. And then, you know, just to, to know that Jeff Bezos was present um, and, and signed off on this. You know, this was signed off by him. Um, it's ridiculous. And it didn't make any sense to me. But then I thought about the bigger pictures. Like, you know, somebody, I saw an article somewhere. At that time, he was making uh, $9 million an hour, uh, $13 million a day. So for, for them to spend $9 million to talk about me and possibly that one hour um, or longer, um, you know, I just thought that, okay, good idea. You want to make me the face of the whole unionizing effort? Well, why not? Mm. So it kind of motivated me to continue, you know, doing yeah. what I'm doing. Backfire. What, what's so brazen about that is like, what is the intelligent thing to do when you see that there are no COVID protocols, everybody around you is is sick and they're dropping off and like they're not planning on doing anything about it to fix it? Like the intelligent thing to do is like, well, let's change this. Like, let's try to change this. And they try to spin that as like, that's actually unintelligent. It's like, it's classic. Like they're greedy and like redefining their greed as like above the fray intelligence, you know? Yeah, so they, so this sort of tactic that they planned completely backfires um, because... Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) You're motivated by it. 
And uh, people who see you out there, you know, giving interviews certainly don't agree with their uh, assessment here. And so what do you do after that? What makes you decide rather than sort of just going off quietly? Let me. All right. This sucked. But you know what? I was going to resign from Amazon anyway. I'm going to go find another job. There are plenty of other places that'll have me. What made you decide, no, actually, this wasn't right, and I'm going to fight, not even so much for myself, but for the people that I was working with at these facilities? Um, yeah, it was exactly that. The fact that I'm not going to allow um, them to get over and just, you know, smear me, and, and I'm afraid to black, and, and nobody's going to remember what happened. Because that's what they wanted. They wanted to bury it like they do anything else and forget about it and move on. And in my situation, I felt like I had the opportunity, especially during the pandemic. I lost my job. I lost everything I had. Um, this is my time to really organize nationwide. And so right after that moment, that's exactly what I did. I uh, traveled the country uh, protesting in front of Jeff Bezos' mansions. If, if, if people follow what I was doing, throughout that year and a half, up until um, the Alabama campaign. And then we went down to Bessemer, and we saw how they were union busting. We saw mm. some opportunities there. And that's when, when we returned back last April. I said, uh, we can do this. We can try here at the same facility where I was terminated. And uh, that's exactly what we did. You know, we, we said, let's create a union, um, something that's worker-led, something that's independent. Um, and and see where we go with it, you know, see what happens. We we had no idea it would be we'll be even be here. Um, I can tell you just a few short months ago, uh, when we had to withdraw, it was really, uh, really uh, like a take back or a setback. But um, you know, I know my team, I know the the workers that I'm organizing with, and I know myself. Um, I'm not I'm a fighter. And, um, yeah, I think that uh, they fired the wrong person, you know, because once again, like you mentioned, Crystal, earlier, is that, uh, you know, I was a model employee for them. I was supervised. I, was, I had a great uh, relationship with people. I was very popular. Um, I was the same exact way I am now. It's what I was at Amazon. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, they, they lost a good one. What... Um... What did you make of when that story broke that Amazon basically hired a fake bot army to try to push their propaganda? Does that and how does that uh, make you feel about the lengths that they'd go to to try to, you know, sort of undermine any unionization effort? Yeah, I, just going through this campaign, the things they're doing now, you know, I was arrested two weeks ago. So it's like, you know, the things they're doing now, um, I'm not surprised. You know, it's just it's ridiculous. And it's like. Uh, it just opens our eyes up to how ugly this company can become. You know, the things that we're doing are trying to unionize and, and fight for basic human rights and, and the workers' rights. You would think that, you know, they would just at least allow us to organize peacefully uh, and, and then take a fair ch shot with their election. But it's just not the case. You know, they're, they're spending millions upon millions of dollars. They're flying people in from all over the world uh, right now, JFK, they're like walking around in groups, these union busters. They're using all these high power firms. They got signs all over the building. Um, you know, just the things that they're doing is above and beyond um, anything I've seen before. Even with Bessemer, um, they, they're paying for like Facebook and Instagram ads now uh, up here in Staten Island. So we're mm -hmm. seeing a lot of these, you know, just, just different ways they're trying to uh, union bust. It's, it's, it's 
never been seen before. And with the bots, you know, what Amazon doesn't realize is that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't use certain platforms the way we do. We don't use, like, a lot of workers don't use Twitter the way we use it in the labor movement or, um, you know, uh, on the left. And uh, they don't realize that as well, that the disconnect is, is through and through. No matter what, you know, what you believe in, uh, or what your life is, when you work at Amazon, you are disconnected from a lot of stuff. A lot of people didn't even know about Alabama. And when I went to Alabama, they didn't know about New York. Mm. And, and that's just how it is. Wow. And it's been proven that they cheated in the Bessemer race, right? Yeah, well, the Bessemer uh, election is being redone as we speak. Yeah, so the NLRB called for that? The National Labor Relations Board found that they illegally cheated. And most of the um, what they found there revolved around a, a drop box mm. that they illegally installed right on the property that they had asked, hey, can we put this you know, mail-in drop box on the property and, you know, they said no, and they basically went ahead and did it anyway, with the expectation being that if you're a worker and you're having to turn your ballot in on company property, you may not really feel like you have the luxury of voting for the union because mm. you worry if this is being manipulated, if your vote is really is really anonymous the way that it's ultimately supposed to be. And that was one thing that I was curious about because um, you tra- you just mentioned you traveled down to Bessemer during part of the last you know union drive there. What were some of the things that you learned from that effort about either Amazon's tactics and the lengths that they were willing to go to or potential weak spots in the organizing drive that you've been able to learn from in terms of organizing uh, on Staten Island? Yeah, um, I, I I had to see for myself how this campaign um, was really going because, um, you know, there's a social media is only a fraction of what's really going on on the ground. And I know last year they got a lot of publicity all the way up to the highest plateau, even the president mentioning it. And I was like, wow, they really got a lot of support um, I'm hoping that the workers are paying attention because I was an Amazon worker. And like I mentioned, you're so disconnected. I'm like, I don't think workers watch what we're watching. So when I went down there, I started talking to workers and I got a very different sense of how that campaign was going. I knew before I left Alabama that uh, it wasn't going to go the way everybody thought it was. I didn't say anything publicly. Um, I just seen that um, from speaking to workers, they weren't really buying into what the union uh, was offering at the time. What was what was the message that wasn't landing for them? Well, number one is the fact that that building is so new. You know, it's it's, it's only been there for less than a year or a year at the time. Uh, how much influence do new people have over new people? It wasn't that much. You know, mm. even as strong leaders, they only had a select few at the time. So I was concerned about the fact that they didn't have enough workers inside the building that were pro-union, uh, especially with a new building that just opened up. You know, my lead, uh, the difference is with my campaign, my lead organizers have been with the company, some of them, six, seven years. So they have a lot of influence. They opened up the buildings in the tri-state area, just like myself. They, they have a really big influence on their coworkers. I didn't see that in Alabama. So I was concerned about the outside um, you know, the politicians and celebrities, uh, none of that resonated with, you know, Bernie Sanders going down there. Then I was, you know, I was told that only like 12 workers were there. I know if I brought Bernie Sanders or Bernie Sanders came to Staten Island, uh, I would have hundreds of workers mm. out there. 
You know, so I, it, it just it just didn't resonate to me on how they were going to win. So to to what extent was it also just, you know, because this is the age-old story when it comes to unionization. To what extent did people just fear in Bessemer? Like you said, the factory's brand new. People probably thought, number one, I might lose my job because the managers get pissed. Number two, they might just take the whole factory out of here and be like, we're done with that. Was that a concern? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you go to Bessemer, I don't know who's been to Bessemer before, but uh, that city is like a time warp back to the 1930s. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's terrible. It's really um, decimated. Um, it's, it's, it's like you're, you're, you're walking through and I saw like a tumbleweed <laughs> rolling down the street. And the only thing over there is big business, whether it's Walmart, car dealerships, uh, Amazon, uh, big franchises, Dollar General or whatever. And it's not really opportunities for workers to have employment. So Amazon for them is the cream of the crop. For these workers that never got paid what they're being paid by Amazon before. So how do you, in the first year, convince these people who've never been paid that type of wage that they need a union in the first year? And that was the challenge that I saw was going to be, uh, you know, wasn't going to go in the union's favor. And, uh, you know, we were we were correct on that one. So you decide as part of this organizing drive, rather than going with an established union like what they did down in Bessemer, you decide to start the Amazon labor union that you're president of. What made you make, what were the points in favor of that decision? Well, that, exactly the, the fact that the, the workers that I'm organizing with were current Amazon workers. Um, you know, they, they, they already had this idea in the works. So you know, we had this idea in the works about the ALU, uh, prior, uh, to when we launched, we just didn't know, we, we didn't know how we were going to do it or when we were going to do it. Um, and you know, we just came to a decision right after, uh, the results came out, um, that the iron is still hot. The labor movement is still buzzing right now. Um, we should go right now. And, you know, that's what we did. We, we say, you know what, we don't know how this is going to turn out. But uh, once again, we're going to set up our union tent and we're going to create this union. And the reason why is because we know the ins and outs of the company. We, we live these grievances. Uh, you know, as an Amazon worker, they can't use the same propaganda that they use against established unions. They can't. They can't, they can't look up my financial history right now because I don't have any. I'm unemployed still. Compared to what they would do in other campaigns where they'll call out the president's salary. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're making the president a millionaire. Or they use things like that, union dues, and they calculate dues and say, oh, you're going to make this union, uh, you know, $5 million. And they tried that with ALU. They, they're still trying that. But um, it's just different because workers are seeing otherwise. They're like, well, they're actually workers organizing the workplace uh the president's unemployed um you know we don't have any resources we don't have any major backing no real money um so they can't spend the same type of propaganda that they're doing the only thing they can do is try to uh, attack is our experience with negotiating which still falls on deaf ears because we have lawyers who do negotiating with plenty of experience mm, that's that's really interesting and i Personally, I think the way that you decided to do it makes perfect sense, and I prefer that to go into a big established organization. I'm sure there are upsides and downsides, but I still like the way that you did it. In 2018, uh, I think it was Bernie Sanders and Ro Khanna introduced a bill called the Stop Bezos Act. And um, that bill, the idea behind it was 
let's zero out any sort of federal subsidies for companies that aren't paying a living wage. And what happened as a result of that is, uh, I think, I honestly think uh, Jeff Bezos got scared by it because the way the bill was framed, it was almost in a bipartisan way where Rokan and Bernie Sanders were trying to get Republicans to sign on because, again, it was framed from like, let's stop these subsidies, which are big government spending. So don't mm-hmm. you want to cut government spending, fellow Republicans? Mm-hmm. It was very smart. Yeah. And so I think Bezos got scared by it. And under the pressure of that, he was like, all right, $15 an hour. We're going to do it. We're going to raise it to $15 an hour. Uh, being in the company at the time, so it was 2018, um, what was your perception of that? What was fellow workers' perception of that? Uh, take me inside when that moment happened. Right. When that happened, I was pissed. <laughs> because what they don't tell you is, you know, Amazon gives the inch, but they take a mile. Mm. Yeah, they raised it up to $15 an hour, but they stopped our monthly bonuses. They stopped our productivity bonuses. Wow. And they took away our stocks, meaning wow. that anybody who got employed after 2018 wasn't becoming a shareholder. You had to buy your own shares. And of course, you couldn't afford them. So I stopped getting my shares. I stopped receiving my. So as a veteran, it took away thousands of dollars from us. So mm-hmm. so you actually, so let's be clear, but you, you actually lost money as a result of this. And Absolutely. And do you think that that was also a similar case for a pe- other people in the company as well? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that uh, was receiving stocks, annual stocks, we stopped receiving them. And as a veteran, we rely on those stocks. You know, mm. we use them. And uh, uh, once again, the VCP, the monthly bonuses for attendance and productivity were cut. So Amazon knew that. They knew, okay, we're raising it to $15 an hour, but they saved the company a lot of money by cutting off bonuses. So, so in other words, such in other words, Bezos, it was a scam. It was a trick. Yeah. It was a PR yeah. win. It was a PR. Right. It was a PR they move. They, wow. That's what they don't talk about. Wow. Wow. Right. That's amazing. You just turned me into like a Marxist-Leninist. I just went full like Viva la Revolution. <laughs> um, <laughs> so talk to me about, you mentioned, you know, down in Bessemer, Bernie went, you had celebrities go on. I think Danny Glover went down there. President of the United States gives makes a mention of it, although I personally think he could have gone a lot further, but he makes a mention of it. Um, what has been the political reaction from that same group of people to you all's efforts? <laughs> there is none. I mean, we don't, we don't obviously, it's, 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 the proof is in the pudding. You know, we had politicians cancel on us the day before our rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, AOC, uh, who else? You know, Mondaire Jones, um, you know, people I spoke to in person and, and personally invited them to come to Staten Island to talk to their constituents. Um, you know, they have people that work work there in their district, you know, um, to try to help, you know, gain some support. You know, we, we had no, no politicians from the left or the squad show up yet. Um, and we don't receive the same attention as Bessemer at all. And I think it's, it's quite obvious. We don't have the same resources. We, we just barely made it here, you know. Uh, we're on a week-to-week budget. You know, we don't have money. And um, that's it's just really disheartening when I think about the whole thing, how they abandoned us. And, you know, I, I, I kept quiet a lot of, about a lot of things because, you know, as soon as I say something negative, you know, they're going to try to point me out like, oh, Chris, you're, 
you know, you got an evil or whatever. But it's the truth. You know, the truth is that this campaign should be the most talked about campaign in the country. And not only not no shade at uh, Alabama or anything else that's going on in the labor movement, but we're talking about workers. Workers from the bottom will have nothing that not only got over 4,000 workers to sign up for this independent union in, in less than a year, but we got two elections. Wow. <laughs> not one, but two. And we have two more buildings that we're still working on right now as we speak. And potentially we'll have four elections. And uh, yeah, I don't, I just, I can't answer those questions about why we're not getting that support. I have my own opinions about it, but you know, it's just sad to, to see that this is what we're dealing with when this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And what were those communications like? You mentioned AOC and, and uh, Mondaire Jones, Jones, who's my district, by the way, in New York. Yeah. Um, what were those interactions like with them? Um, well, yeah, they were positive when I met them in person. I went down to D.C. when Cory Bush was on the steps. I met Cory Bush as well. You know, there's pictures of all of us there. Uh, we stayed on the steps. I brought them food. I brought them ALU shirts. Uh, I had workers with me, four workers with me. We tried to convince them to come up here. AOC was real excited about it. She was like, yeah, I'm there. Take my information. Talk to all their staffers. I met with the team several times. I had like three meetings over Zoom or whatever we was talking on. Uh, leading up to our rally, everything was good. And then the last second, it was like, uh, yeah, they can't, you know, they can't make it. And did that, and I was like, did that word wow. come from, from them or was it their staffers or what was your sense as to give us, give us your opinion. You said you have opinions. Give us your opinion on why you think it is. They didn't, they didn't join. Well, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know why they didn't join, but their staff came to me and they called me. They didn't give me a real answer besides they said it's a, a security threat for AOC. And I'm like, I was just sleeping on the steps where in D.C. She had no security where, um, yeah, maybe one person there or whatever. But it didn't make any sense because they said they canceled all her in-person meetings for the rest of the month. And then a couple of weeks later, she had to met Gala. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. I knew. You know, that I is, that's that devastating. Were, that's, you know, that's a devastating point. I mean, so you don't right, have time so to go see the work. Amazon workers, but you have time to wear a tax the rich dress mm -hmm. while you're around the richest assholes in the fucking country. Yeah, you don't Come have on. time to actually go speak truth to power with Jeff Bezos, but you have time to like cosplay with a bunch of fancy people. In yeah. The and look, I'd like an explanation. I'm not, I'm not saying all this stuff to try to be definitive and to cancel people or whatever. Like, no, I want to hear what is it? What, why, why is it? Tell us like what happened? Same. Yeah. Same. You know, I'm still waiting for that. I mean, they haven't reached out to me since. So, wow. Um, well, they maybe. have my contact information. They know how to reach me. Everybody. I think everybody in the left by now knows how to reach me. Uh, I'm very accessible. <laughs> so <laughs> That's been my experience. Certainly. So is right. So it's like you know the excuses that these politicians make is is bullshit. Yeah. Um, even you know I'm gonna even share with y'all. You know I was talking with you know Bernie's two people as well, and they were like, "Oh, we we're gonna bring you to Congress to testify." That was over a year ago, so it never happened. Well, if any of them are listening right now, which I hope they will, um, they should still do that. 
if Bernie's people are listening, anybody who's affiliated with his team, if any of AOC's people are listening, obviously the way that this went down before is unacceptable and it gets all of us angry because it's a very important thing that you're fighting for and we could use all the support that we could possibly get. So, you know, you should still be able to testify in front of Congress. And if anybody is listening who could potentially make that happen, well, let's try to make up for some wrongs that just happened. Yeah, it's not too late, guys. You can still come through and help out an effort that really deserves a lot of support and attention. Agree. Um, Chris, where are we right now? I know the vote is coming up. What are the conversations like that you are having with workers right now? What are the major grievances you're hearing? What is the pitch that you're making? And how is it being received? Yeah, we're eight days away from um, the vote. And, uh, you know, right now, uh, my presence, you know, I'm, after this interview, I'm going right to uh, right to the building. Um, and I'm always out there just answering questions. You know, Amazon's onslaught right now is just spreading a bunch of lies about the union. Um, they're trying to just spread as many lies as possible. And um, if we're not there to answer these questions, you know, workers that are on the fence will ultimately, you know, choose the company's side. So uh, it's just important that right now my organizers and myself is on the ground uh, to answer questions, our, our you know, phone bank as much as possible uh, up until the day that we have to stop campaigning. And uh, right now, you know, the concerns are more about the dues. You know, Amazon's trying to calculate dues for us. But I'm, I'm saying that as this independent union is going to operate, we will democratically decide our dues when the time comes. You know, right now, we're nowhere near that. We're like a year and a half away from a contract, probably, you know, after we even win. So to even think about dues is ridiculous. Uh, number two, we won't even we would never sign a contract that will um, take away dues before having higher wages. Um, so, uh, you know, just answering questions like that, uh, showing the workers that we have experienced lawyers. Uh, we have two that, that are doing working with us pro bono. Uh, they have they work with bigger unions every single day. And um, just reassuring that, you know, we are supported, uh, even though it may seem like we're not. We are very supported. And, and grounded in our foundation. And um, and I think it's working. You know, it's working in our favor right now. Do you have any more uh, union-related questions before I get to my non-union-related questions? Yeah, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Chris, is, um, you know, I know you mentioned when you're in Amazon on the floor, you're cut off, right? Because you're working long hours. You're, you know, doing what you got to do to get by. Um, but is there any sort of sense of connectivity with the broader trends in the labor movement, with the energy around these Starbucks stores that are unionizing? Obviously, it's a very different sort of workspace and organizing effort because these are very small stores. But nonetheless, it's another iconic American brand that has never had union shops, and they're sort of falling like dominoes right now. Does that help give you momentum, or is that kind of irrelevant to the conversation that you're having with workers? Yeah, I mean, we we try to uh, spoon feed workers this uh, these type of um, you know victories in, in the labor movement. Uh, that's just what we have to do as organizers. It's up to us because they're not going to go seek it. They're not going to Google search Starbucks unionizing. That's not going to happen. So we we personally, as a part of our campaign, whenever things break out in, in the labor movement, uh, we definitely. We print out thousands of copies of information and we hand it to the workers. We explain what's going on, kind of like we're educating them on what's going on at the same time. And it, it does help. Um, but at the same time, then, you know, we have to stay focused on what we got here 
we have a much larger shop. We're talking about 8,000 people compared to a Starbucks, you know, that they have 20. So it's, it's just, you know, we do stand in solidarity with them. You know, I've definitely been on the picket lines with um, uh, doing rallies for them and with them and uh, even with the Columbia students. Uh, I try to, you know, devote my time as well to other campaigns as much as possible to show that uh, that connection and that solidarity. Um, but I know these workers at Amazon, they're not seeing any of this. You know, they, you, men, you mentioned, you know, all the stores that are unionizing. They're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, what yeah. kind of, what media do they typically con- consume? Is there like, are there certain channels or certain, you know, just, is, you said that they're not necessarily using Twitter the same way that the union thought they were or that the company thought that they were. What do you think that they're more attuned to? Oh, I, you know, uh, Joe Rogan, <laughs> he's one of them. Um, I, I've been told by several workers that uh, they watch Joe Rogan a lot. And I was like, okay, that's good to know, note it. Um, you know, they, uh, because they're, they're not watching, uh, they're, they're not watching the news on TV, um, the internet, independent media, you know, podcasts, stuff like that. That's what workers pay attention to, certain podcasts. And um, I know um, Joe, Joe Rogan is obviously the, a popular one. So um, I was told, you know, once again, feedback from workers that that's what they're watching. Some of my organizers that's walking the floor, uh, a lot of workers have their phones at their stations and they're watching Joe Rogan while they're working or they're watching mm. other, other podcasters um, while they're working. So that's more the type of news that they'll pay attention to compared to, you know, regular TV like CNN or something like that. Well, Crystal and I will... Choice. Crystal and I will put in a good word uh, with Rogan, and hopefully maybe we can make, make something happen with you. Um, so tell everybody, before I get to my non-political, non-union-related question, tell everybody uh, how they can support you and the Amazon Labor Union, uh, how they could follow you on social media and all that stuff. Absolutely. Uh, please follow us um, at Amazon Labor on Twitter, at Amazon Labor Union on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Um, at AmazonLaborUnion.org. Uh, um, myself, uh, at underscore down Amazon, um, at Chris Smalls on Instagram. Can people buy the t-shirts anywhere? I have one of the Starbucks Workers United t-shirts. I got one yeah. for Kyle, too. True, yeah. Yeah, well, we, yeah we, we, went, we wouldn't sell it to you. We'll, we'll give you, you definitely been no, a I'm, part I'm of happy my to, journey. I'm happy to support, but... <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know, but you know, uh, yeah, we we do fundraisers uh, in person, though. We don't sell online yet. Um, we're working on that. But uh, uh, at our fundraisers, we definitely sell T-shirts. We have them, and uh, we're, we're having them weekly in New York City. Um, we haven't done one this week, but uh, yeah, we are selling the shirts. And if you're in New York area and you come to one of our events, we absolutely will sell your shirts. You guys should do that. Awesome. Uh, so before we wrap up, I noticed you're wearing Lakers uh, purple and gold. Are you a Lakers fan? Actually, I'm wearing the ALU shirt. This ALU? Is our, oh, there you go. This is our new vote. Yes. So we have different colors. Uh, we just dropped... Um, actually, I have another color over here. You know, we just dropped some new colors. So we have pretty I much like what I like. The spring colors. The spring line. You see, it is a Lakers hat, line. though. It is a Lakers hat. I see Lakers right now. Oh, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a Lakers fan. I'm a LeBron fan. I like LeBron. I mean, this is obviously LeBron is um, somebody that you're a player that you're not going to see too often. So I'm a huge fan of LeBron. Not really Lakers fan, but I I'm a Knicks fan. 
Me but too. I, I love basketball. All, all, all in general, I'm a, so a we're, diehard basketball player. We're, we're in the exact same boat. How old are you? Did you see any of Kobe's greatness or no? Yeah, I'm 33. Oh, so, you've, so you, were, you were raised on Kobe like me. Unfortunately, yeah, he was my enemy. Uh, you know, I'm being a Knicks fan. but uh, well, I'm a Knicks fan brother, too, but I love Kobe. My brother is a Lakers fan, and I had to live in the household with him <laughs> rocking Kobe jersey. And that I'm must that must have been rough. Now I see why you're not the biggest Kobe fan in the world. But uh, what what the hell is going on with the Lakers right now? With Westbrook is like playing the worst I've ever seen anybody play in my entire life. Carmelo's standing there on defense. LeBron is like he's like he doesn't even know what to do. And this is the first time in his like entire career that he's like I don't even know what to do with these bums. What do you make yeah. of all that? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could watch as many as many games as I, I I used to be able to, but uh, I watch like the highlights now, and it's like, yeah, I'm just seeing them crumble. Uh, when you know we thought that they'll be going to the finals this year with with those three superstars, and it's like, wow, to see that it's not happening. Um, I don't know what's going on with them either. I can't even answer that. I think it's coaching. Coaching mm-hmm. definitely. He got to go. Um, and I just think they need a, a younger roster around LeBron. Like, you know, the old guys, you know, they, they were great for so many years, but now they're at their, you know, at the, the decline of yeah, their, their careers now. LeBron won with J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert, and, like, he won with the Knicks from, like, 2012. So right. he, could, he could win with, like, anybody. So the fact right. that, like, Westbrook and Melo and Nick, yeah, it's 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 hard to watch, man. It's I mean, they're way under 500. They're probably not even going to make the damn playoffs. I'm surprised. But anyway, the reason why I'm so... I'm so butthurt about this is because I remember telling Corin at the beginning of the season, like, I like this Lakers team, man. They might make some noise. And then I look now I yeah. look like the biggest idiot on the planet. <laughs> so, <laughs> same, yeah. same. Yeah. I, my boys get on me if I, you know, when we watching Lakers games, you know, they get on me still. They're like, oh, you're a Lakers man. I'm like, no. But, you know, they still understand that I like LeBron. So they, they get on me all the time. Yeah. I'm but a, he's I, still playing good. LeBron, oh, he, LeBron oh. himself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, good. I tell I tell Crystal all the time when it comes to I always root for the underdog in almost every area of life. But when it comes to sports, I'm the biggest elitist because I want to see greatness. I want to see Michael Jordan. I want to see Kobe Bryant. I want to see LeBron right. James. I want to see them break all the records in the world. So I'm as elitist as it gets with sports. I ain't room for the underdog. I'm room for LeBron. I want to see LeBron do right. a good job, you know. So anyway. Christian, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. This was very informative, very wonderful. Yeah, and I hope people, listen, guys, go support what they're up to. Pay attention to what's going on with Amazon because this company sets the trend for the entire labor market. I mean, this fight that you're engaged in is a fight for every single working person in this country. And, you know, the fact that you've taken this on your shoulders— And the abuse that you've taken, I mean, being smeared by the top leadership, one of the most powerful people on the planet, smearing you, coming after you, getting arrested. um, This is a cause that is incredibly worthy of support. And like I said, critical for every single working person on the planet and certainly in this country. So, Chris, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for spending time with us. I know you're extraordinarily busy. Absolutely. Thank you. Anytime. Appreciate you guys. Great to see you. All right, that was Christian Smalls. He is the president of Amazon Labor Union, and they have a vote coming up here in just a couple of days. And I have to tell you, you know, we have lots of conversations about, like, who should be held up as a hero in American politics, American history, whatever. In my opinion, Christian Smalls is the type of person who is a literal hero who should be learned about in schools 
The battles that they are fighting right now at Amazon are as consequential as they come. And it says everything that not only is there no political support, but there is zero attention being paid in the media. Well, when the Amazon labor union gets a little more steam and gets bigger and he becomes more prominent, uh, the big guns are coming out for him. And I'll predict that right now. Oh, I guarantee they'll yeah. say, we found this tweet you did in 2014 where you said Here's this Here's a bill this. you didn't pay Here's some or girl from high school who said you made her feel uncomfortable when you talked to her. They're, they're, this is what they do. This is 100%. what it is. And 100%. so that's coming. Now, you, I don't know if you wanted to mention this on air, but I think it's worthy of mentioning on air. Uh, you had a, a guess, a theory as to why maybe the lawmakers who were sort of promising they would show up didn't mm-hmm. show up. Why don't you share that with everybody? My theory, and it's just <laughs> speculation, is that it's based on some, like, internal labor union politics. Mm. Because Chris and his colleagues struck out on their own, made their own labor union, and went in that direction rather than, you know, going with one of the established unions, well, that makes them kind of a threat to these other larger players. And so when you have the progressive movement obviously closely aligned with labor, which in general is a good thing, you know, they don't want— Chris and his effort to kind of show them up, especially you've got Teamsters right now with a new effort. They want to organize Amazon across the country. You have the retail workers union that just suffered major loss down in Bessemer. They're unable to get it done. So Chris's effort is kind of is both uncomfortable for them. And I'm sure they also spin this to lawmakers as like, oh, they're going to fail. They don't know what they're doing. They're brand new. They don't have institutional support. So that would be my guess as to what happened here yeah, is so. basically when AOC and Mondaire Jones went back to their staff and thought it over and reached out to people involved, that was the message that they got back is basically like, you know, don't take these people seriously. And by the way, you're going to piss us off if you ultimately back what they're up to. Yeah. So in other words, some potential phone calls from higher ups in unions that do give money to, you know, generally left politicians and they sort of pull the plug on it and you know, who knows? Now I'm really in the weeds here now, and I'm purely speculating, but there could be like a, and maybe we don't donate to your next campaign. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the idea that labor unions, which are supposed to be like the ones leading the charge to improve workers' conditions are now, could now potentially be blocking it for. Well, and remember, I mean, this is a really important conversation about labor unions. Democracy within unions is really important. And you have very different systems and structures at different unions in terms of how representative they are of the rank and file. That was never more clear than during the Bernie Hillary primary, where you saw yes, yes, that's the unions right. I remember that this. had real democracy backed Bernie, like the ones, all of them. The ones that had top-down leadership all backed, backed Hillary. Hillary. Right. So not every union is the same. And then when you have that sort of top-down structure and you have, you know, union presidents who are making significant salaries and they get cozier with the businesses that they're supposed to be adversarial with than they are with their own workforce, well, then that makes it very easy also for the right wing and for union busters to caricature the entire movement as like, oh, they're just sort of like exploiting workers and they're really part of the elite and big True. labor and all that stuff. So, I mean, this is this is actually really significant sort of in the weeds, but really important to know about stuff within the labor movement. So it's very courageous, ultimately, of, of 
Chris to decide to create this this new organization from scratch. And I think his logic makes perfect sense because the other thing you hear routinely in union busting campaigns is like, oh, this big labor union is going to come in between you and, you know, the people that you work with. And so when you have actual workers who form the the basis of the union and it's completely democratic, well, you completely undercut that argument that they're making that sometimes does have, unfortunately, truth to it. Yeah, I couldn't help but giggle when you were like, and the right can come in and say, look, they're exploiting workers. It's like, <laughs> that's like literally yeah, your like, whole thing. Yeah, like, we want to exploit the workers. <laughs> that's their whole <laughs> thing. Unions can't exploit, yeah. we're going to exploit mm-hmm. them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, wonderful guy. Um, I hope what he's doing succeeds. I know it's an uphill battle, but nothing worth doing is easy, as the old saying goes. And because they don't have mainstream support, because they don't have uh, established union backing, I really, if you can support them, their cause is extremely worthy. Because even if, and I think Chris, from what I've spoken with him about before, is pretty optimistic about these votes that are going on right now. But listen, we all know how difficult this landscape is. Yeah, people said that before Bessemer. Like, I just don't want to get ahead of, nobody should get ahead of anything ever again, ever. I remember after Nevada when Bernie won, I was like, we got this shit. (laughs) And then like three weeks later, I'm in a ditch crying. (laughs) but, But let's, you know, let's be clear, just because if they don't win this time around, they're building. Right. Well, see, that's the that's the thing that's important. They're building for the future. You just got to keep showing up. You just got to keep showing up. These workers Never stop. In the process of education. Right. These relationships and networks are being formed. So this is an extraordinarily worthy of your support cause because it has such broad implications. And that's actually a huge problem with the left is there is this thing. I don't know why, but. Whenever you come up against the slightest pushback, it's like, ah, fuck it. Nothing's ever going to no. work. And, and, yeah. and it's the let's start from scratch idea. Mm. You could go, you could be running a hundred yard dash or at the 70 yard line. And they're like, ah, fuck this. Let's go back to the zero and start again. And it's yeah. like, why would you do that? No, keep fighting. Go, 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 go. There's, yeah. Learn and it's for funny. the last 30 yards. You can do this. It, from my perspective, it looks like as a general rule, the right's instinct is more, we're just going to keep pushing forward. Whereas the left is always like, well, let's throw up our hands and start from scratch. Yeah. So that's what's so frustrating. It's it's the old saying. It's like w- dealing with the left is like trying to herd cats. Yeah. Like everybody's so independent minded and they're doing their own thing that they're like, you know, I'm above it all. I don't want to engage with that. Whereas the right, they can't wait to, you know, work with their fellow right wingers. And even if there's disagreements, overlook them and just like trudge forward towards the goal no matter what. But to your point, the way that he's moving forward with this, it looks like he's got that stick and that persistence, which is the is important to winning literally anything. You cannot win anything without stick and persistence. And basically, when you come up against roadblocks, you're like, wonderful. I view this as a challenge that I'm now going to work around as opposed to the typical, like, let me put my tail between my legs and go home and whine like a bitch and say nothing will ever work. They had a major setback when um, they weren't initially able to get enough signatures on the petition to trigger a union election. I mean, that was a big blow to them. And at that point, it would have been very possible that someone else in that situation would have said, you know what, this is just not working out. I got to go get a job. I got to get on with my life. But they continued, they persisted, and now they got the signatures not at just one warehouse, but at 
two centers, and he said they're working on two more. So um, this is this is extraordinary. Keep showing up. They can't deny you. It might take time. It might take a lifetime. But keep showing up. They can't deny you. That's the bottom line. That's it. All right, guys. Uh, we love you very much. Uh, everybody, please do us a favor and uh, subscribe on Substack. $5 a month gets you the video of the show, and it gets it to you a day early. Everybody else can sign up on Substack for free and get the audio version of the show a day later as soon as it drops on whatever your preferred uh, podcast platform is. Remember, we take zero corporate money for the show. We don't read any ads. And look, not to toot our own horn here, even though that's exactly what I'm going to do. We're one of the only podcasts that does this. I mean, any podcast I listen to, like you're 25 minutes in and then there's a long ass fucking me undies thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about underwear while I'm trying to listen to some shit <laughs> on World War One. Like that's I, I'm not trying to do that. And, you know, we tried to build something a little more pure and a little different. And so uh, we're really it's only through the small dollar donations of you guys paying the five dollars. So uh, for everybody who already is uh, paying the five dollars a month, we really appreciate you. We love you. We could and build this without you. You're the best. And for everybody else, please consider doing it because it means the world to us. Yep. We love you guys. Have a great weekend and we will see you next week. Bye.